Welcome to HealthBeat, a podcast from the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University. I'm your host, Suniza Khan, a health policy and management graduate student, president of the Emory chapter of the Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives. Being in Atlanta, the public health capital of the world, our goal is to introduce you to many experienced individuals within this discourse community to discuss public health news, research, and career insight. Join us on this journey of meeting a diverse range of influential professionals within the healthcare field. If you have any questions or topics you wish to hear more about, message us on Instagram at EmoryGAHE for future HealthBeat episodes. Hi, I'm Anisha Hussein, a health policy and management graduate student at Emory University and producer of HealthBeat. On today's episode, we will be discussing health information technology. Soniza will be joined by Ilana Greats an associate professor of health policy and management at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University. Dr. Greats completed a doctorate in health services and policy analyses with an emphasis on organizational theory at the University of California, Berkeley. Her research leverages health information technology to better understand how care is delivered and to improve patient outcomes. As principal investigator and co-investigator on several federally and institutionally funded studies, Her research spans multiple aspects of health information technology, including data analytics, the role of electronic health records in care quality and coordination, the design of app-based interventions to improve patient-provider communication, treatment adherence, and outcomes. She also won the 2017 SEMA S. Sanad Emerging Leader in Managed Care Research Award. Welcome to HealthBeat, Dr. Greats. I'm so excited to have you here with us today. Health information technology is something that's really piqued my interest recently after being in your class this semester. I took it as an elective, and I'm so glad I did because it has certainly impacted my job search right before graduating. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. I've heard the other episodes, and um, I feel like I have big, big shoes to fill. Thank you so much for being a listener. That means so much to us. All right, so we'll just get started here today. Our first question would be, is that you have some quite exceptional roles and honors. Could you give us a gist of your journey as a healthcare professional? Sure. So I uh, was a, did my undergraduate at Berkeley, and I majored in economics and political science, and I did a minor in demography. And at the end of my program, I started working as a research assistant for a health economist, Richard Scheffler. And I did a project for him when he was looking at the impact of a state policy that shifted how certain mental health programs were funded. And I went to different health departments and I had to look at their budgets. It was all on paper and I had to like copy and like write things down. But it really introduced me to the whole field of public health. It wasn't major that was offered at the time at Berkeley. And so I knew very little about it. And yeah, I was just excited to have this field where you can apply concepts from economics, from political science, from sociology in an area that really impacts people in a very profound way. Like no one's going to ever go through their life and not have to deal with healthcare in, in some important way for themselves, for their families. And so it really got me hooked. And so when I graduated, I looked for positions to get more exposure to public health and particularly research in public health. And I ended up being a 
intern at Kaiser Permanente in Northern California at the Division of Research. And the timing of that was really great because I was a research intern for a study team that was studying the implementation of EPIC at Kaiser at the time. And through that project, I got to learn more about health IT and policies around health IT and meet faculty at Berkeley that were researching public health and doing research in organizations and management theory and how to apply that to the diffusion of technology. And, you know, it prompted me to apply to go back to grad school and I continued working with Kaiser and it just, you know, developed my interest in health IT in the field by getting this early exposure to this um, really large implementation of uh, a EHR system. What would you say is an accomplishment that makes you take a step back to think that you truly have made a difference in your field? So I think one of the things that I did a lot of research with at Kaiser, and I continue to do research in this area, is around the role of the digital divide and how that impacts who uses different technologies and who has access to the portal and how that impacts their care and their relationship with their provider and communication. And I feel like that work, you know, has had an impact in our understanding of these differences and how it might be different when you have services that are delivered via a computer versus like a mobile device or a phone. So I I do think that maybe that was probably one of the areas where I've had the most impact. Going off of your work at Kaiser, I was wondering what was one research that stood out to you the most that you did with them? I noticed you had a bunch of published articles under Kaiser. So what was one that stood out to you? So we we did a lot. So it's starting with their EPIC um, EHR implementation, trying to understand like what was the impact of switching from what they had before was like a fragmented patchwork of different health IT applications to this um, comprehensive integrated electronic health record system, like what impact did that have on care quality for patients? And we did a lot of that work around diabetes care, which you know about because they talked about it in our class. And then for my dissertation, like understanding the role of the team environment and how that the EHR got used and the impact it had on outcomes. But I mean, I continue to work with them and now I've been moving more to the patient side of things and looking at the role of the digital divide. So early on when Kaiser had just finished the implementation of Epic and the portal had been around for a few years, but it wasn't really designed to be used by a phone. And the, you know, the policy that we've talked a lot in our class is that high tech, which provided payments, these incentive payments for providers and hospitals to adopt electronic health records and make patient portals like available to patients, it didn't specify like what modality it had to be available. And so most portals at that point, like were not easily accessible via mobile device. They were really intended to be accessed through a phone, I'm sorry, through a computer and like a browser. Um, and so we, we did a study in 2000 using data from 2011 to see like who was using the portal at this time and what were the differences in the characteristics of patients that were using it and how much did access to a computer with an internet explain the differences that we were observing. And what we found in that research is that having access to a connected computer explained over 50% of the difference by race that we were seeing in use of the portal and over 60% of the association in use of the portal by income. So it explained most of the difference. And once we adjusted for whether or not they had their own 
computer connected computer like you didn't see these um, differences by at least by race and income and then we did a follow-up study to see how how did that change like once kaiser made their portal more accessible via mobile devices so they had a website that was optimized for a mobile device so it's easier to navigate and they also introduced some apps that you could use to access the portal and we did see a big difference and what we saw is that once it was accessible and easy to access via mobile device, almost everyone started doing it. So over 70% of portal users by 2016 were using it from both a computer and a mobile device. And that the patients that were most likely to use it only from a mobile device are those patients that were most affected by the digital divide. So Black, Hispanic, and Asian members, members who were living in poor neighborhoods were most likely to exclusively access the portal through a mobile device. So we saw how important it is to like have that easier access where you can use it from multiple uh, modalities and make it easy to access from a mobile device. For our listeners who are not too familiar with telehealth, could you define in your own words what you would define telehealth as? Sure. So telehealth is a broad concept which encapsulates basically any delivery of healthcare services at a distance using some form of technology. And it can include synchronous visits, like when you have a phone visit or a video visit with your provider, or it can include asynchronous visits where you exchange secure messaging or you have some sort of e-visit or exchange imaging. And it can also include patient remote monitoring, right? When you are monitoring maybe some measurement that patients collect, like either actively or more passively and providing changes in their treatment based on what you're monitoring. So, and then telemedicine is, tends to be a more narrow concept within that, which focuses exclusively on the delivery of healthcare. But telehealth can also include things like consultations between two providers and patient education, provider education. So it's, it's a little bit broader. So during COVID-19, how do you think that telehealth has impacted the healthcare industry? And how do you think it's impacted the field after the pandemic? I mean, so COVID-19 was a public health emergency. It had a huge impact on the health of our population and the healthcare industry. And early on, like pretty much overnight, you had, you know, most providers, most hospitals, like were not offering telehealth to their patients. It wasn't covered very widely and it just wasn't an option. Like outside of Kaiser, it was pretty limited. You know, there were some direct to consumer telehealth services that were available, but they were separate from the providers that patients had this long standing relationship with. And there was the public health emergency and there was a lot of changes that had to be made so patients could still see their providers because we had these shelters in place policies where a lot of clinics were not even open. Patients were, or patients, adults, everyone was asked to stay home and not leave their houses unless it was an emergency. And so everyone had to still access care in some way. And so CMS like expanded their coverage of telehealth and pretty much like every private insurer did too, where they were covering telehealth visits on parity, meaning that they were paying the same amount for a telehealth visit, either if it was by phone or video, as they were for an in-person visit. And, you know, providers that didn't offer it before didn't really have a system for providing that. And so they also made it very flexible where you could use like your home personal phone 
with um, FaceTime or whatever you wanted to use and they weren't enforcing HIPAA restrictions where you had to use, you know, a platform that was HIPAA approved. Um, and so everyone started using telehealth. It was the only way to access healthcare. And I think that is having changes that will change how we deliver and access care, like moving forward, because we went from very few people having ever had a video visit to almost everyone. And I think that changes expectations for the future about like what's available and how you can access care. Right. And I agree. I feel like in the past two, three years, there's been the most development in telehealth and mobile health than compared to like when it first started out in the 1980s and like when it picked up in the in the early 2000s. I feel like now COVID almost imposed that change in telehealth, which was really impressive to see um, how the needs have changed over time for populations. I mean, it's, it's an interesting point, right? Because I think we talk a lot about the impact of policy on health IT dissemination and, and use, but I think COVID has like the biggest impact in terms of telehealth and virtual care and secure messaging and all of that, because it just forced everyone <laughs> to the virtual space. Yeah, exactly. Just going off of telehealth and um, mobile health, I feel like patient portals have been very heavily integrated into systems now and electronic health records. What would you say are the benefits of patient portals to patients? I know we talked about a lot, like talked about this in class a lot. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. And how do you think patient portals have improved patient adherence to treatment plans? So we had some research from Kaiser that looked at this and we found that portals improve so focusing specifically on a population with a chronic condition, so we looked at patients with diabetes, it improves adherence to medication, having access to the portal, but not just, so having access to the portal improves adherence. And then if you're accessing from both a computer and a mobile device and you're using it more often, that has an even bigger impact on your adherence. And similar, we found improvements in glycemic levels for patients with diabetes. But then there's also other research that, talks about how portals improve, you know, longstanding relationship between patients and providers. It um, improves satisfaction with care. It also facilitates the involvement of family members and other caregivers when you're caring for a patient. So there's, I think there's a lot of benefits for patients. And, you know, we, we started talking about this in class too, the 21st Century Cures Act, which is mandating that more information be available on the portal without any delay, right? And I think that is also going to have additional benefits for, for patients. What are some other benefits that you see coming out of this for patients besides like faster access to information and they have like access to their own health records, which increases the understanding of um, their treatment plans? But what other benefits like do you see with adherence? I mean, I think it just, it gives you a better understanding of your treatment plan. It's like you can go somewhere, you can see your diagnosis, you can understand better why you're prescribed certain treatments. Um, it improves care coordination if you have an easier way to share information across different providers. And I think convenience is huge. I think convenience is really big for people. Yeah, definitely. I was just about to say that like with patients with chronic care, they like you mentioned, they have multiple providers. And in order to have like a cohesive treatment plan, I feel like it's vital to implement electronic health records and patient portals so that everyone's on board with what's happening with the patient because there's so many different aspects to what goes into their health outcomes. 
Yeah, I think like all of these improvements in access, I think are always more important, right, for the sicker patients, the patients with chronic conditions and ongoing healthcare needs and with complex treatment plans. Um, it's, it's really critical. But it also it gives patients more freedom, right? If they are not getting the care they need from a specific provider, it's easier to move if you have access to your information and you can bring it to somebody else or get a second opinion too. I guess my um, follow-up question to that would be, how do you think patient portals have impacted healthcare providers and hospitals in terms of cost effectiveness and workflow? So that is trickier. Um, there was a lot of research about like physician burnout with the epidemic or the pandemic um, and how this, there was an increase in telehealth, which led to an increase in uh, secure messaging and portals and you know, plus this um, pandemic is going on contributing to burnout from physicians and other types of providers. And, you know, there's just a huge increase in the number of like messaging that uh, providers were getting and had to respond to. And so it's, it's less clear about cost effectiveness. And it really depends about how incentives are aligned and what's billable and not billable. And there has been some recent changes where CMS is allowing for some billing for what they define as e-visits, which could be secure messaging through portals, but it's not clear how much that is actually happening. And so, yeah, I think the cost effectiveness question is a, is a trickier one for, for hospitals and providers, and it really depends on the organization where they are and what their incentives are. So when I think of virtual care, I think of whether it'll reduce access um, disparities since it can accommodate for busy schedules for people who have to work more than one job, for example, or can accommodate for those who do not have reliable access to transportation. But as we know, we can't assume that everyone has stable access to the Internet for this to be useful, which is why I wanted to touch on the digital divide, which you had mentioned earlier in our conversation. Could you define what it is exactly and describe current or proposed interventions that could help rectify this issue at hand? Yeah, so I mean, the digital divide is the fact that certain populations are more likely to have access to technology, including broadband and Internet access but also like smartphones with data plans and fast access to data and the technological skills, right, to use those devices. And that was important during COVID, not just for accessing telehealth, but even, you know, for being able to work remotely, for continuing education, like everything required you to have these connected devices with pretty fast connections. But in terms of virtual care, so we did some research at Kaiser that looked at like who was more, more likely to choose telehealth versus not telehealth and how did that change before and after and during COVID. And um, what we found in, in terms of like maintaining access and trying to minimize the effect of the digital divide, I think one thing that we found is that it's important to offer telehealth, not just with video, but also with phone. Because phone, there's fewer barriers, right, to entry for having a phone visit. You can have an old phone without a data plan and still be able to access that care. And um, and before COVID, we saw some differences in terms of younger patients were more likely to favor having a video visit versus an in-person visit pre-COVID. And there were some differences by race where, you know, Black patients were more likely than white patients at Kaiser to prefer either video or phone versus an in-person visit. And then you see for 
members living in poor neighborhoods are less likely to favor video, but more likely to favor phone. And then there are some interesting changes that happened after COVID. And I think one of the most unexpected changes that we saw is that, so during COVID, like for all of 2020 after March, Kaiser took away the option for patients to self-schedule clinic visits because they wanted to um, prevent the spread of COVID. And so if patients were logging into the portal to schedule a visit, they had to choose between phone or video. And with those two options, we saw that older patients were actually more likely to schedule a video visit than a phone visit, which I think is something we didn't expect because you tend to think of older patients as having more barriers to technology, but then they also have a higher need for care and you can probably get more aspects of the visit done through video than phone. So maybe that might explain it. But also, you know, we saw that Black and Hispanic patients are much more likely to prefer telephone visits and then video visits during this like early COVID period. And I think what's important for that from a policy perspective is making sure that moving forward, once the public health emergency ends, that telehealth is made available by those modalities, right? You're not required to offer video to receive the same level of payment as you are if you offer a phone, because that's going to limit the accessibility of the service. So I guess my last question today would be, what's your advice to students who wish to enter the realm of health IT? Where should we start looking and how do we stand out to recruiters while applying to jobs in this field? It is such a fast changing field within healthcare, and especially because of COVID, because of the 21st Century Cures Act, there's so much changing. So I think, you know, to do the best you can to be up to date on what is happening, like new innovations and new policies that are coming and the impact that those will have on the field, um, I think will go very, very far when you're in the job market, being able to talk about these policies and innovations and thinking through, like, what are the implications, you know, a few years down the road, I, I think will be really important. What's a reliable news source that you would say in terms of learning more about health IT and staying in the loop about innovation? I mean, ONC, so the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, I think they're a great resource for for staying on the loop about policies that are changing. And you can follow them on Twitter. They have a website that's very accessible and they do a lot of webinars. And a lot of the policies that they are developing, like there is always like time for public comment. And they want feedback from patients. So I think following them and being engaged with them is probably your best and most reliable source. But it's on the news. Like I read about health IT all the time in the New York Times. And so I think just looking for it in all of the media sources that you have. Yeah, for sure. I actually didn't know about that page. I'm going to look it up right after. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Grates. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. I'll see you in class tomorrow. Also. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for inviting me.